Hello and welcome to Digital Surfing with Darren Smith, the podcast that dives into digital leaders' success and failures as they ride the wave of a career in digital business. Introducing our host, Darren Smith. Hi, I'm your host, Darren Smith, and every episode I'll be chatting to a special interviewee on what they've learned on their digital journey. Digital transformation and maturity is key to surviving in business today, and many people have a host of stories to tell about the successes and failures of digital projects they've been involved with. Let's go digital surfing. My guest this week is Joe Legate, Head of Growth and Engagement at Mobilize. They're on a mission to drastically improve the support that the UK's army of unpaid carers receives. Joe has worked in CRM and marketing for over 15 years and shares amazing insights from his experience, such as what CRM actually is and the stakeholders required to make a CRM implementation successful and why you need to look at CRM as an always-on and always-improving program instead of a big bang project. Hey Joe, good to have you on the podcast today. Hi Darren, great to be here. Cool. Um, so I'm going to get straight in and ask you um, a bit of the kind of fun fact questions. Um, <laughs> now, I found out uh, a little bird told me that you did not watch TV until you're 16. What is the story behind that? Uh, grumpy parents? I, d- I don't know, really. Um, uh, all I know is I didn't have it. And uh, the absence has made the, gr- the heart grow fonder. And, and now I'm borderline addicted so uh yeah for, until i was 16 I, we didn't have a house, uh, tv in our in our house at all uh, which which means that things like watching the euros is is something that's a bit weird to me like yeah. i never watched competition football we'd go to games like i would go to watch my team crystal palace regularly but I, i've never watched it on telly so <laughs> i have no idea what's like i don't get the fuss particularly um and and i'm missing like just huge parts of pop culture i i, I always say like, I've, I've never watched the goonies um and apparently that's a thing so i mean being in marketing uh, like does that affect your day-to-day not having that kind of uh, that background and, and that media exposure i think i've more than made up for it since um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i'm not sure that's a good thing i think the the, the trade-off was that i spent more time reading so I would say mm. things like, uh, yeah, I, I work a lot on content marketing. And I think that mm. the amount of time that I've spent reading and, and just being immersed in the written world has, has really paid off. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, I worked on, on video too. And, and I think you just approach it slightly differently, maybe with, I guess, <laughs> I just don't have anything <laughs> uh, pre-2000. Uh, 2000, so. <laughs> and and uh, moving on from, from TV, I mean, I... And, and sticking with fun facts, though, like every conference you go to, every kind of podcast you on, all that type of thing, there's always the like the default. What is a fun fact about yourself? Now, the other one is your irrational fear of pigeons. Yeah. Um, which must be difficult to uh, live in in the kind of UK area. There's uh, I know, live in central <laughs> in London and it's uh, <laughs> it's not easy, uh, I have to say. Um it's an annoying fear. I, I, I'm embarrassed of it as much as I hate having it. But it is, it is so bad that I will place my wife in front of me when we're walking <laughs> if there are pigeons in front of us. So, um, she's long-suffering in that respect. <laughs> so the focus I, I, I want to have today with you is, is, is really around CRM and knowing 
like these type of facts around about people lead to amazing experiences obviously you have to record these facts somewhere <laughs> um now i like i'm i'm shooting in the dark here but has anybody ever recorded the fact that you do not like pigeons and you've arrived somewhere and they have like a pigeon chaser or something and you've just been like wow this, these people really get me or has that never happened <laughs> Uh, I don't think anyone's ever made a note of my my pigeon phobia, but I wish that they had in some cases. So, so we were on holiday in Barcelona and the hotel I booked was like basically the equivalent of being like Leicester Square and or, or Trafalgar Square in London, well known for its wealth of pigeons. Um, so every morning, if we wanted to go anywhere, we would go and get on, on the metro and I, mm. I had to cross this horrible plaza just just chucked the pigeons <laughs> uh, it, was, it was bad it, anyway it's making me making me clammy just thinking about it <laughs> now like you you hear those stories all the time of brands that find out something about an individual and 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 really surprise them and uh you know immediately you get this amazing loyal ambassador because of that we used to do that quite a lot at the thinking traveler so that was um it's a luxury villa company and there we would pay quite close attention to people's needs not necessarily stored in a field or anything like that but it might just be a generic thing like special notes or whatever and i remember that we had um, a lady who was staying at one of our villas um who had She'd said, uh, she'd written on Instagram something like, ah, oh, that feeling when you forget your favorite shampoo and you can't find it anywhere. Mm. And um, she's quite, quite well known. So we, we managed to go through her Instagram um, and find out what her favorite shampoo was and then go and get it and send it to her. And now that's a constant note on her profile. And now whichever villa she books with, that shampoo is waiting for her. I think those kind of things. I mean, the, the ability to do that, I think, is not for every organization. Mm. <laughs> but if you are able to do it, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that I think drive true loyalty. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think the hotel and hospitality industry is one to look up to for that. I mean, like it, it's you mentioned there. So there is a, a, a client profile and you are storing a note there because I'm like, certainly I've I go back to certain hotels and you know just i'm like i'm not uh, fussy about my shampoo but they'll remember small things about me I, I i always wonder is this a note somewhere or have they just got way better memory than i do i, I yeah absolutely and i think the one that like, i'm always really surprised by that it doesn't exist in a b2b world or, or maybe it does for some people is why like favorite football team or you know something like that isn't stored against like my name so that you know, you can have a conversation with me and you can, you know, you can break the water really well with or oh, not such a great game at the weekend, even if you don't mm -hmm. care two hoots about football. Um. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've, 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 uh, I, mean, I know a little bit about cricket, but I've, uh, I've tried that before and ended up with somebody giving me a deep conversation on cricket and I just had to play along. Play out, along. out of your depth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Um, yeah, you, you know, like that's, kind of introduction I suppose in, in your history in, in in hospitality working at the thinking traveler I mean you mentioned they've they've won best villa company for five times in a row um I'm not sure in a row uh, but uh, five, five, five no, no, times. It's, it's five times consecutively and I think six or seven times overall it's it's, it's a bit of, getting to be a bit of a silly statistic 
uh, <laughs> although I do wonder you know it's there's going to be a hard year if ever that breaks um, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> glad I'm not there <laughs> um, so I mean it's pretty much there where the definition and, and kind of philosophy for you around CRM was born, right? Yeah, so I worked with um, two amazing founders, Hugh and Rosella Boger, and, um, and they had this relentless pursuit of growth and ever-increasing quality and exceptional service. Um, and so they were intrinsically nervous, I think, of automated systems in general mm-hmm. on the basis that how can we make automation feel truly personal? Um, and so we worked quite a lot on automation as an enabler for personal service. So that was um, often that rather than triggering an automated email to a customer directly, the, the automated email would go to a member of staff and then they would be able to, you know, really finesse it. Mm. And of course, there were standard texts and things like that that we used to make stuff a bit more efficient through the process. But ultimately, it was, it was a bit of an experience that was fundamental for me in establishing my philosophy of CRM as an enabler for true personal service. Mm. And I think that draws quite a lot on uh, B2B ways of working, um, albeit that my background isn't in, in B2B marketing. Um, but yeah, I think lots of listening for key events, triggering things in smart times and smart, smart occasions. And yeah, I guess noticing the detail is, is, is really important. And I think that combination of using a, a system to be kind of always listening uh, mm. and, a, and a person to be delivering that true personal service, I think works really well. And it could be applied to so many different, different industries as well. Mm. Yeah. It, it, I mean, like, I think what part of it is, is, is around having rituals and routines in place so you actually have to like build a customer first culture um, so that people learn to capture that data. I mean, I would love people to know that I absolutely hate any Microsoft product and please do not invite me onto Microsoft Teams. It like pretty much crashes my laptop every, every time. Um, and uh, yeah, if somebody took that, I'm mean, like, I write about it enough. They, like, so I post on LinkedIn about it. Why do people not notice and then, you know, respond accordingly. I don't think it's built into people's routines enough. So I think the routines are quite an interesting area. So I, I often think about CRM as also is effectively an efficiency tool for, um, for organizations that want to provide very high levels of service. Effectively, what you're able to do once you've got your uh, CRM set up and you've got some very clear use cases about where it's going to uh, be listening or saving time or automating particular processes you're able to scale a business quite quickly without adding exactly the same amount of uh, staffing and I think that's where you can get really good buy-in quite quickly is if you say you say to a managing director hey we can offer the same level of service to more people but probably at less cost and, and that isn't to say that CRM systems are cheap far from it but <laughs> generally they're, they're less hassle I think than managing people. I think you touch on so many good points there. You know, so many people I speak to, when they think CRM, they think technology. Um, so they immediately they go, oh, we need to go and buy HubSpot or we need to go and buy Salesforce, where actually you could have a CRM uh, methodology in place and just hire a shitload of people um, and everybody's doing it manually and storing data in a spreadsheet. So, you know, CRM goes 
I mean, it's not just a tool. It, it, it's, it's so much more than just the technology there's. And what you said there, like, how do you go about identifying those use cases before you decide on the technology? I think it's really tricky. I've been, I've been part of uh, CRM builds where it was top-down IT team basically saying we, need, we should be connecting all of our data sources, uh, and, and, and quite rightly so but not maybe thinking it through to actually what's the, what's the key strategic advantage that that's going to give to the business. Um, and in that case, that was, you know, a two year long project for, for a travel company. It was, it was exhausting. Um, and I, and I don't think that they really sweated the benefit from it, but I think the, the key use cases that I think really do work is when you it's, it's bottom up, when you're sat there as my colleague, Suzanne, who works with me at mobilize at the moment, we were sat there with about, four or five different connected services, Google Sheets, Typeform, uh, Calendly, um, and, a, and a few others, and Zapier's floating around in the middle, just causing mayhem. And you sit there and you go, there must be a better way, right? And it was, I think both of us were sat there one Monday morning trying to pull up our weekly reporting and having to look in about five different places, uh, cross-reference data, double-check it, it, and it was it was a really cumbersome process, and and I knew that CRM systems could make that easier for us. So I think a bit of knowledge goes a long way, and then I think it's about imagining what the key outcomes are going to be for you. So one of the key outcome might be well, we're going to reduce our reporting time from two hours every Monday morning to two minutes because we're just going to open the report. Another key outcome might be that we can scale our frontline services, whether that's uh, sales staff or whatever. Um, without adding uh, huge amounts of extra headcount, and and then another one might be we'll, we'll be going to be able to be able to uh, speak with our customers more regularly and in a better way because we'll know more about them. So, erring towards I guess a segmentation model, um, things like that. And then you might get into I guess the more complex stuff such as triggered communications based on actions on site, lead scoring, things like that. But I think having three core ways just trying to imagine three core ways that the crm will really benefit you can, can make a huge difference and then you're into the whole world of which crm and that's a minefield um, <laughs> but uh, yeah i think without those those key use cases i think it's it's really difficult i mm. think just doing it to connect the data isn't enough anymore it's it's i think that's a, that's an admirable thing to do but it's it's an exhausting thing to do if uh, if the outcome is that all it's done is just connect silos of information. For sure. It's, I mean, it goes along with um, like our approach to CRM is strategy and architecture, starting with that, which is like identifying those use cases, then looking at the data, like where is it coming from? If you update, for example, surname in the CRM, what other systems does that need to go in and then update, where, where, which is the primary system, what are the secondary systems, um, then, then the messaging or the creative, should I say, and then only do you select the technology because you could have a, a, you know, a use case that just isn't possible in Salesforce or just not possible in Microsoft Dynamics or just not possible in HubSpot. Um, and so how can you go and select a piece of technology without knowing what you want to do and what you want to say? And one of the biggest problems that I've seen is where the communications people are not included in this and the IT team go off and they connect all this data 
And then the communications people come up with this brilliant campaign and they say, we want to send an email that says, hi, it was great seeing you last Tuesday. And then you can see that it says they were there last Tuesday on the CRM. But when you try and add that as a personalization token, the IT team go, oh, did you want to actually include that? I didn't actually import it in that way. We'll have to start again. And this will take another 60 hours of development work to do it that way. So if you don't know those use cases, before you go and build, it's a huge issue. No, I, I completely agree. One of the, the challenges I think with uh, onboarding any CRM system or, or comms system is imagination. And, and generally people that work in, in marketing teams are, are or like to think that they are <laughs> very creative. Um, and my experience is if, if they're not aware of the full functionality of a piece of kit, it's really hard for them to sit and think about what are the amazing ways that they could use it. Because it's it's quite easy to mirror, I don't know, a, a welcome email because everyone's doing it, right? So you just know that welcome emails exist. But what are the really interesting ways that you could use your data, which is only going to be specific to your organization, right? And and if if you're not able to visualize or see or imagine all the different ways that the data can be connected and the different services that can be triggered off it, I think you, you put yourself in this, this walled garden of where you're, you're basically, you're using about 5% of the tool's strength. Um, so I always try and like to get a really broad view of, of CRM systems when I'm using them. And I like to share that broad view with as many people as possible so that they can, I, I guess, not just come on the journey, but they can start to be imagining like cool things that we could do. And then I think encouraging people to say, uh, is this possible? What, what if we did this, you know, and, and, and encouraging that because and teasing it out, because that's where like, that's where the good stuff lies. For sure. I, you know, I think this comes in with what I call CRM maturity. So, so many organizations that we work with want a CRM project. They say, how quickly can we have this up? Oh, we say, you know, 60 to 90 days, uh, roll it out. And then they don't want any further engagement where our preferred type of client is one that's more mature. And with that maturity comes that kind of knowledge that you're going to come up with ideas constantly. And the other thing that you're going to want to do is experiment with those ideas. What if you start doing one thing and it really pisses your customers off? Surely you should switch that off. Surely you should be measuring that. So it's a, like, as you have these ideas, and it's, it's our exact same approach when we build websites for people, like, why do you think that the, when you launch a website, it is perfect? <laughs> uh, you know, when you, when you buy a house, you move in and then you're like, oh, we should really paint that wall. Oh, yeah, we should really move that cupboard over there. Like, it's the exact same thing when it comes to CRM and, and, and websites, right? Completely agree. Uh, we, I, I always advocate for having a more knowledgeable resource at your side that, that is really in, in depth um, and in, embedded with the software that you're using the crm system that you're using because you'll, you'll be constantly having those ideas and i found it pretty invaluable for example to speak to the team at hubble and say hey we were thinking of this um could that work and and, and actually you're not necessarily looking for a full-fledged solution at that point so you know it doesn't have to actually cost you a ton either you know it, you're just looking for sense checking like is there is there yeah. like the seed of an idea here could this grow into something that, that could be really powerful and therefore is it worth investing time in Mm-hmm. I love the concept of customer journeys, and I like to um, kind of use a kind of visual idea of a dirt or gravel road 
like don't go and build this amazing customer journey with a tar and plants on the side and, 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 and so on where you don't even know if it's going to work yet. So like do a quick and dirty kind of road journey. Um, and then if it's really working, you can come and make it, make it better afterwards. I'd be very surprised out if there are customers out there that follow your linear customer journey in the first place, that it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, as marketers, we like to put things in frameworks because it, it enables us to create strategy around them. You know, it's a bit like a coat hanger in that respect, but, but mm-hmm. like there's no customer that's conscious of the road that they're taking, the customer journey that they're on, and they'll come at you whichever they, way they fancy. I always mm. say to people when we're doing web development, it's like, just, you know, get it, get it as close to live as you can, as good as you can, because I tell you what, as soon as we put it live, someone's going to use it a way that we never expected. Yeah. And as, so have the tools and the, the, the listening in place to, to identify that. Um, but, but don't expect that it's going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be perfection from, from day one. The, you know, the, the visualization that I love to place in people's minds about this is you walk around London, you know, especially me not being there all the time, and you go into those formal parks and they've got the paths that you need to go along. And then there's this dead section of grass that people yeah. have made a shortcut. And like, there's the way that the, everyone wanted you to walk, but it's not the way that people want to walk. So they end up creating their own way. So I think as a marketer, the CRM professional, you need to anticipate you know, what, how, how will your customer potentially um, engage and at least have, uh, you know, it might not be linear, but at least be ready for, for other types of behavior besides your perfect kind of envisioned behavior. I mean, if they're broadly, if they're broadly going along that route, you know, from A to B and the, and the middle parts are, are a little bit confused and you're 90% yeah. of the way there, doesn't matter too much. So speaking about communications and creative, um, you know, one of the other idols you list is the team that you work with at, at Thread. So, uh, you know, do they follow a specific philosophy or, or how do they get this right? Uh, they, they're just, they're, they're very intelligent people, which I think is always a great starting place. But yeah, Caroline uh, Bondi and, and Richard Calvert from the Thread team, they're a consultancy that looks at the data you hold and how that, that could actually be used to to benefit an organization um, and that, that's kind of irrespective of crm and so you've got richard who's working on like fantastic like messaging like where to pull the emotional strings on somebody at what time where are the kind of the the, the weak points that where maybe that someone might be really susceptible um and then just re- like crafting a, a killer message to, to to get to that person right at that time and Carolyn just brings this great sense of uh, the possibility within the data you're holding. So when we when we worked at Thinking Traveler, they did amazing amazing work. At, I guess it started with segmentation, which uh, always is is fascinating and, and sometimes quite hard to actually execute at the end. And they they just uncovered this insight that the the presence of children within a villa holiday makes for a, a, a categorically different holiday. And, and, and saying that out loud obviously sounds like stating the obvious, but I think that when you're thinking about automated communications, that matters because you can, there's, there's enough there that you can completely tailor your communications in a very different direction. Whereas, you know, if it's a whole adult trip, you know, you, you can you can talk about things very, very differently as well. So I, I, what I really liked about that approach was it was it was rigorous because it was it was grounded in data. 
but it gave us this very clear route about how we could deal with 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 two very different groups um and that's not overwhelming for an organization of their size 60 people or so uh, actually producing two routes of communications that's not that's not so so big as to be impossible whereas i have seen segmentations where you end up with 20 different uh, personas and and then marketing director wants to come up with a, a new route for each one and uh, that's exhausting and probably doesn't provide as uh, incremental revenue for the amount of time that you spent on it you know there's probably actually three routes in there which are hugely profitable for you that you should spend your time on and much more achievable as you say like w- one of the most difficult parts is then actually bringing that segmentation to life and you know i think that's where i see so many really great communications agencies and and creative agencies that come up that maybe they do understand data maybe they do want to segment but then they continually want to take they they ask you for a csv export or a spreadsheet can you take this data out and into a different system which you know like obviously i'm a big advocate of hubspot but if if you're just using an integrated tool not only do you not have to worry about taking that data out, which then, of course, opens you up to a whole bunch of GDPR issues and, 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 and so on, but just by using that tool, you end up with more data because now by you know, engaging with somebody and seeing how they engage with that content is another, just making that data more rich. And it's, it completely blows me away that some of these major agencies you know, are so far behind the times in terms of using uh, technology with their customers. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak to a lot of that because my experience with with major agencies is fairly limited. But I, I certainly know that I would much rather have a performance of a campaign registered against a user within one one silo, mm-hmm. um, because I think you could use that as, then as an action point for the future. Yeah, um, and and so the, the, the stuff that like we we're working on doing at Mobilize that would would be entirely impossible if we if we went down that route of extracting data and passing it over to somebody else. You mentioned Mobilize. So let's uh, dive a little bit in there. Like what is, what is Mobilize? What do you guys do? So, uh, well, we, we describe ourselves as a tech startup that, that looks to dram- drastically improve the support that the UK's army of unpaid carers receives. So an unpaid carer could be a, a partner, a parent, um, a friend, a neighbor, a sibling who's looking after someone normally with a, a long-term health condition, but basically who the, the crux of it is who couldn't manage on their own. Um, and, and this is a huge number. The, the, the estimates range between 7 million and 13 million unpaid carers in the UK. Uh, one in five of us is likely to be an unpaid carer at some point in our life, I think is the stat. So it's it's hugely prevalent, um, but it's it's very very poorly supported online so there's there's good local support that exists in physical buildings um, and available on the phone quite traditional i guess but we really focus on online support so we basically support unpaid carers through the provision of connected online tools services community and content so that together carers can uh, can thrive basically um, it's not just suffering through it we want people to be optimistic about their their life and their outlook, even if they're really struggling with the, the situation they find themselves in. And, and that situation can be difficult to listen to. Uh, I, you know, I've been, I'm not a carer myself, 
but I've sat in on enough of our online cuppers, which are like a, a Zoom call with with carers that we facilitate. And you and you hear the genuine hardship that these people face, and it is it's really difficult. It's a uh, it's hard financially, and it's hard emotionally to be looking after someone that you love. Um, uh, you know, providing personal care for someone you love is very difficult. So, anyway, long story short, we we want to we want to turn that on its head and basically empower as as many carers as possible to 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 care and thrive. And I think. You know what you, what you've done now is reinforced what we were talking about earlier because you use the word army and you use the word millions and you spoke about there's local supports that you can walk into but none of that is scalable and it just c- cannot be scale- scaled without technology without CRM so you guys have from a CRM perspective are you targeting I suppose it's two audience groups. It's it's the it's the carers, but then the people they're caring to. I mean, that must be a huge amount of information that you need to manage. So, we focus on the carers rather than the people they're caring for. Uh, there are lots of great organisations that exist for supporting the people that maybe have a long term health condition, and that equally there are lots of um, organisations that support unpaid carers and do a really good job of it too. But as you say it's quite difficult to scale a local carer centre that exists within, for example, in, in the UK, we call it a local authority area. Um, that, that could represent somewhere between 200,000 and 500,000 people um, that, that, that would be in that local authority area. But there's, um, there's obviously nuance to each area, but actually very few organisations actually connecting the data of unpaid carers nationally. And that's really important for, for temperature checks. Like, how are unpaid carers doing this week like are we seeing the same things and equally what you might find is in a local area you have a carer that has a very specific set of circumstances so they the, the, the maybe the condition they're caring for who they are as a person um and and their situation and they might not be able to find commonality within their local area they might not be able to find somebody else that shares that ex- exact same set of circumstances and I think it's really valuable from a peer-to-peer support point of view that they can access or find people like that. And so what we do is enable that by, by connecting people nationally. Um, and I think that's where it's hugely valuable. But yeah, the, the, the scalability is, is always forefront in our mind of, okay, we, we genuinely want to support as many unpaid carers as possible. Um, and let's put the infrastructure in to enable us to do that. Clearly, if we're at 13 million HubSpot, I would like a discount on our thousands of contacts per month. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, I'll make sure I tag them in the in, 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 in these notes, in, in the podcast notes. Um, so b- before, um, you know, going down the HubSpot route, uh, you know, you mentioned you're using many other systems, uh, spreadsheets, type form, Calendly, that type of thing. I mean, like, it, it, for, the, for the front-end workers in Mobilize, like, it must have been, quite a nightmare just to be able to serve the carer uh yes i think um it was it was challenging i think the, the advantage that we had at that point was um that we probably weren't talking to quite as many people but our ambition was definitely to make that larger um I'm, my colleague suzanne who is the, the brainchild of a lot of the services that 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 we have created had, had initially come up with this this amazing ways really of of creating genuine supportive services 
but through connected free tools effectively or very low cost tools. And it was just getting to this point where actually the management of all of those tools was starting to become such a headache that we were spending probably more time or as much time on managing those tools through their connectedness as we were on supporting unpaid carers. And so I think it was really then that the, we had to pull the trigger and, and go and put in the end HubSpot in place. Um, and the the dramatic difference, I mean, I, th I think Suzanne's probably even a bigger fan of our HubSpot installation than I am. Uh, and that is because it has genuinely transformed her working life. And I think it can have that capacity for a lot of people. I also have seen quite a lot of reluctance or nervousness around implementation of these kinds of tools because people think that the automation is effectively chipping away at their job. I, I say to them, em, embrace it and, and be at the forefront of looking for opportunities of how it can be used. Because if you're a salesperson, you will sell more and you're and they're not they're very unlikely to be changing your bonus check <laughs> um you know that will probably stay the same so just you know find and eke out them the most from it um and learn about it like i think when you're working if you were sitting next to a colleague that helps you out you would learn an awful lot about that person about how they work about what their strengths are what their weaknesses are where they can really assist you in your day-to-day -day work and i think the same is true of a crm system you know invest that time to get to really understand what it can do for you and the, the outcome is that you probably you're probably making yourself far more efficient and then you're able to spend proportionally more time on the things that really genuinely matter and i think for me that's what crm is is actually all about uh, you know better results for sure but but i think if you can engage it and and just improve what you're doing you've already built a business case for it straight away and that's, that's typically what I find is very, very difficult is to convince a, a founder, an owner, a, a marketing director of the business case. And if you can demonstrate business cases that are already existing within your organization, um, you don't have to leap across this imaginary river of imagination to say, hey, these are the things that you could be doing uh, that they've never seen before and don't understand. Yeah. The problem, I think, with many much CRM technology is it's been built for management, not for the end user. So it doesn't necessarily make the end user's life better and easier. And it's, it, it creates more administration. Um, so, you know, shameless HubSpot plug is, you know, they've taken a completely different approach where it's primarily built to make the frontline workers' lives easier. Um, and of course, it's got all the management reports, but you don't have to kind of police your employees to try and use it because like with many of the other CRM softwares where it, it, it's just there to so that you can get your uh, kind of board report um, in, in, in the right format. But I think the other thing, you know, the other visualization that I like to ask people to, to, to imagine is, is that iceberg analogy, you know, like, so there's all this stuff on top that's going out your customers. But if you make your employees lives better, that like deep part of the iceberg that you can't see, just by making their lives better, they are going to serve your customers and stakeholders better. And you're going to end up with a better um, kind of CRM experience. Yeah, I think there's a there's a actually a shift in, in maybe generational one. Um, what what I'm finding with um, younger staff, typically, 
not not just younger staff, but I think typically uh, new entrants to the job market is they're pretty fearless when it comes to fiddling around with tech. Like the, the, the idea of breaking something doesn't really exist to them. Whereas I know that myself, like I'm probably a bit more cautious because I have broken enough things now to know that I should, should probably check a few things more. But I actually think that there's this outlook of um, not worrying too much about if you'll break it, but just seeing how it works can, it can drastically improve the results that you get from a CRM system. I totally agree. Absolutely agree. Um, right. We're running out of time uh, quite quickly. So um, if you were to do all of this again, if you were to do another CRM, uh, kind of what you do in CRM every day, um, basically, because as you say, it's ongoing. But from these CRM implementations, um, CRM philosophies that you've been involved in, what have you learned along the way? What would you do differently? I think it's always stakeholder engagement every time. And, and, and I don't think I've got it perfect, but I know that I'm working on it every time. But um, I think about like whenever you put a difficult service in, in I think back to the Thinking Traveller where we, we built an online booking service from scratch. It required such a lot of buy-in. So from sales staff who were unsure how it would affect their bonus to, to the private villa owners, some of whom were used to being able to be vague with when their villa was available, which is obviously huge for online booking, um, to, to you know some reticence, I think, from some, some parts of the senior management as to even if the project would be a success at all. Um, you know, those are those are quite a lot of diplomatic hurdles just to get to get around. And I think being able to frame your project in an exciting way, in a beneficial way, and even embedding like, uh, I guess, champions within different teams can be so helpful because those people feel like they've taken on a little bit of ownership of the project. They're able to feed back as well, which is crucial about, okay, well, well could we do this? Could we do that? Um, and I think you really, really need to bring people along with you. Um, the situation where you don't do that is, is basically one where you end up being a head of CRM or even a marketing head of marketing or marketing director with a new CRM tool that you're using two to three percent of, and that nobody really likes, or they they know that this big project has been going on that's probably cost a lot of money and a lot of time but they're yet to see what actual impact that's had on the ground. Whereas if I think you bring those people all with you, the whole journey, you know, they can be reporting back to their teams about actually what's made a big difference. And it's not, it's not rocket science stuff. It's just good, good communication. But when you're in the thick of a CRM configuration, uh, that's, that's challenging enough mentally, I found in terms of working out exactly what you want to do without having to have these conversations so i think it's important just to i would say whatever time you're dedicating to the build factor in to spend at least 50 percent more on on conversations around it and then bringing people along so many sound bites that i'm going to take out of that thank you so much you know i think it's it's so important i've seen so many crm projects fail because it decided or got assigned in the board meeting oh we need a crm system and they go oh well you know we we use um here's my microsoft rant again we use uh, sharepoint so let's get dynamics and obviously nobody wants to use dynamics um <laughs> otherwise you know you get a sales director that says oh we we need uh, crm so we can do pipeline management and then you still find the marketing team using a bunch of other tools and the service team using a bunch of other tools but 
the sales team are creating another silo. Um, so yeah, that stakeholder engagement is, yeah, I think it's the best piece of advice that we could leave anybody with on the, after listening to this. And you can't do everything at once as well. Like just, just forget about it. Like if you, if you went around an organization and said, what are your requirements for a CRM? One, most of them don't have the capacity to imagine what they could ask for. So that's going to be a really difficult conversation. Uh, two, you'll probably end up with a long list of requirements that is absolutely impossible to get a, a solution started with. So forget about it. I think focus on three really core use cases that will directly affect the business right now. They're not additional. They're not like incremental in any way. They will affect the business right now. By doing that, what you, you stand the best chance of success of getting that project live within the time frame you set and of also achieving really strong buy-in from people and immediately being able to demonstrate why this was a good idea. And I think being able to demonstrate why it was a good idea is really important because you're going to need that when you go back to the board and say, hey, I need an agency to help me with this on a monthly retainer because we've got so many ideas that we don't know what to do with them. Um, and yeah. Such good it. advice. <laughs> you know, I, like that big bang approach of like, oh, we're going to spend... 18 months working on a CRM project, which sometimes you need to do because these CRMs claim to be integrated, they're not. Um, but you know, you you then suddenly it's such a massive change to the business. And then, you know, as opposed to taking that that kind of small steps approach, and exactly like the analogy I used earlier, the house. You buy a house, you think it's great, then you want to move something, then you want to move it back. I mean, you, know, you you only start seeing the potential once once there's something there right right uh well joe um i have really enjoyed this i thought that we were going to be a little bit shorter today than than what we were but uh thanks so much for joining me today on uh, digital surfing i will of course uh, tag hubspot in that note because uh as you grow and i suppose that's another shameless plug is uh is you know very easy you don't need to upgrade even if you start with one customer and you end up with 13 million like same infrastructure uh, you know, no, no need to go and kind of change systems and so on. So, but uh, I will, I will tag them in that. And um, Thank you. Uh, thanks so much uh, for for being on the show today. My pleasure, Darren. Really great talking to you.